You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning. If you are a guest with us this morning or here for the first time, just welcome you again. My name's Tim. love to encourage you to go and say hello to somebody um, face-to-face over in the welcome area afterwards. Yeah, we, said we had a great morning this morning. It's so exciting to be part of a church that is... Uh, uh, evidently moving forward uh, in the grace of God as we welcome people. Uh, how many in total? 17 this morning? 18 this morning? And, uh, and also being able to give into this extraordinary, exciting venture of getting the Odeon and uh, seeing what God will do with us there. So I'm excited to be part of this church. I hope you are as well. And uh, we're going to continue in 1 Samuel. Uh, It's actually our penultimate message in 1 Samuel this morning, After God's Heart. We've been talking about David and Saul and Samuel, and this week uh, we're going to go to chapter 30, if you want to turn there, and uh, next week you'll be hearing from Tommy in the final message in the series. Uh, We've had a bit of a hiatus, as I said. We've heard from Adrian Holloway a few weeks ago, a fantastically helpful message for us as a church, and then last week uh, hearing from Tom, our vision Sunday, our vision as a church, and uh, if you weren't able to hear that, it is up online. I'd love to encourage you as we push forward together as a church to, uh, to know the vision of the church that you're, that you're being part of and to be able to contribute to and enjoy where we're headed. So this week we're delving back into 1 Samuel and uh, uh, this strange circumstance that David finds himself in uh, because of a bit of a silly decision. We're going to look at uh, David's compromise and actually Saul's compromise as well, but Saul's been compromised for a long time now. David's compromised uh, and we're going to look at the causes and consequences of compromise. And then we're going to go and look at how David strengthens himself in the Lord and the cause of that and uh, the consequences of strengthening himself in the Lord. And we're going to look at grace and the, 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 the joy of grace. Just before we do that, I'm going to pray for, for this time now. Father, we thank you again that we can come marveling at your grace. We thank you. We this morning have already strengthened ourselves in the Lord as we've declared your goodness, what you've done, who we are in you, that we know you've completed a great work through Jesus. We come in that work. We come in the name of Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you for your grace upon our lives. We thank you for the grace to give. Lord, we thank you that we are uh, aware that we are not striving uh, to, to serve the God of money in this life. We're serving the God of heaven. And Lord, we just love that that is, brings us such freedom. Thank you for the joy of welcoming people uh, into this family. We pray that many, many more will be welcomed in the years ahead. Uh, bless us here with, uh, with ears you want us to hear with today and uh, with soft hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, yeah, we've reached chapter 30, and I want to set the scene a little bit because David finds himself, I don't know if you remember, uh, Morris speaking to us about four weeks ago or so, that David has put himself in the enemy camp. Uh, He has uh, taken refuge with the Philistines. And um, uh, Saul and David have both turned turned to their own way. Uh, They're men of God, but for different reasons they've deferred to their man-made plans. And uh, I'm sure some of you have been reading at home through this. I'd love to encourage you to do that as we go through series um, as a church together to read through the book that we're reading at home. But if you haven't, or if, again, if you've had a few weeks off from it, you need to remember, where are we? What's going on? So David is with the Philistines. Uh, he is behind enemy lines. And uh, with, with pretty good reason, we might think, with good excuse, 
And so first of all, uh, I'm going to look at, it is a compromise, and what are some of the causes and consequences of that compromise? And we can relate to those. First of all, David is exhausted. He has been running from Saul. He's been on the run for years and years, hunted. He is scared for his life. He is discouraged, disappointed, depressed, and he has made this decision to find refuge among the Philistines. Now, just think about that. He's finding refuge with the enemy. This is the David who writes the Psalms that say, I take refuge in you and you alone. You are my fortress. You are my deliverer. You are my rock and my strength. And now he's found refuge with the enemy. He is certainly compromised. But we sympathize with him. It was an almost impossible situation, wasn't it? He was getting hunted down. And any minute he felt his life could, be, could end. He's been attacked from every side. Saul has been relentless. And even his own men have criticized him and said, oh, why didn't you kill him? You had him right in front of you twice and you didn't kill him. So even his own men have come against him. And plus he's got these promises from God. And we may know that ourselves. God, I, I, I thought there would be so much more. I've even had prophetic words or, or things said over my life that I thought you were saying to me and, and I just haven't found them to come true. And David had the word that he was going to be king. And at the moment, he's not king. He is a fugitive running in ditches and in caves. And, and, and so we can definitely sympathize with him for making this choice. He's fallen so far from the David who is the well-known David, who kings, uh, kill, kings kills tens of thousands and who killed Goliath, this famous David. And now he is this depressed Man scared for his life. And the first point I really want to make is that it's often when we are exhausted physically or emotionally or mentally that we compromise. We start to feel sorry for ourselves because it's legitimately true. Life kicks us when we're down. Life is difficult from time to time and sometimes particularly very difficult. And it's in these times when we can get quite skewed in our judgment. It's in these times particularly where we need to hold on to what does God say? Because everything in me is screaming, run. Go and find refuge in something that you, would satisfy you. Go and get there. And we start to say, I deserve this thing that will satisfy. I deserve. And we start to get skewed thinking. I know that isn't God's best for me, but I just need that right now. When we're tired, when we're down, when we are exhausted... We might say, I'm the exception to the rule, actually. You don't know what I've been through. You know, I would, never, I would never recommend someone else do this, but you don't know what I've been through. It's okay for me to choose this at the moment. And it's a bit like a, a fish who can see a juicy worm and doesn't recognize that there's a hook behind it and goes to take the satisfaction that's right there. And even more sadly, it may be a bit like a fish that does see the hook and says, but to be honest, I'm just hungry. I just want. My, my flesh needs, and I'm just going to go for this. Bob Dylan, the, 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 the musician, said this, People seldom do what they believe in. They do what is convenient, and then they repent. Isn't that true? We so often do what is easier. It's too hard to obey right now. I'll, look, I'll do what I want to do, safe in the knowledge that he, this God that, that I say I believe in, his job is to forgive me. He'll sleep, we'll, we'll, we'll sweep it under the rug. When actually we're turning away 
from God's best for us. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And I think I just would encourage you, particularly when life is really hitting you, and you're tempted to get your head down and focus inward and navel-gaze, be sober-minded. Lift your head. Look at what, who God is, what he has said, what he has done. Be watchful because temptation is around the corner to say, look, I'm just going to do things my way. It's too hard. And David's found himself compromising in this way. I think one of the reasons quite clearly is this exhaustion, this, this life battering him. And he has just gone down the easy route here. And the second thing, so what happens next is Saul, Saul hears that David has gone and joined the Philistines and Saul stops hunting David. And the second point here is that when we go our own way, there is often a payout, there's a payoff. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. That's why we go that way. We think, I, I want that immediate satisfaction. I want that thing right now. And the Bible doesn't pretend, you know, sin hasn't got any pleasure to it. It's quite clear, actually. That sin is pleasure, pleasureful at times, pleasurable. But the, the, the thing is, it is only an immediate relief. If we look at Hebrews 11, it's very helpful. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and everything that came with it. You know, living in the palace, having the authority, having the prestige, having anything he wanted, the wealth. But he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So the Bible is clear that sin is pleasurable, but it is also clear that that pleasure is fleeting. It's not lasting. It's not life-giving. It's just a trinket that will ultimately let you down and destroy you. It goes on to say, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And you could easily say, I thought he wasn't looking to the reward. I thought he was denying the reward so that he could get beaten up and be a Christian. No, he was looking to the reward, the greater reward. And as Christians, we must be convinced, God is greater. I'm not a Christian because I've chosen the life of getting beaten up. And I just hate my life, and, but I'm a Christian. So, No, God is a greater reward, and he has a greater reward for us. And Moses understood that. And at this point in life, David has compromised that and chose the easier route, looking for an immediate reward. The third point here is, as David chooses to live with the Philistines... He takes 600 men with him and their family, including their wives and their families. When we choose to go our own way, it doesn't only affect us. Sin is a bomb, not a bullet. Sin affects people around us. We can so often think, look, I'm going to do this, just, just give me a break, I'm going to do this, but it's only affecting me. Okay, so what? If my, my wife's up be- asleep up in bed, I'm downstairs on the laptop looking at stuff I shouldn't be, but, you know, it's just affecting me. That is a lie. It's a lie from hell that sin is just, just affects me. The, the, the Bible in Genesis makes it quite clear that when sin entered the ordered world, it brought in chaos. 
God is an ordered God. He made and it was good, made and it was good. And then sin brought in chaos. Sin is a bomb, not a bullet. When we choose to go our own way, it won't just affect us. And we need to recognize the lie. It may be that you have been thinking, look, it's just my thing. Okay, It's not affecting anyone around me. And it may be that sin's effects are so subtle that you just think, what? I don't see any effect. But it may be that God's got so much for you, so much more for you than you're currently content with. C.S. Lewis famously said, we, are not, we don't have two grand desires, we have two weaker desires. So we're, we're like children who are, who are content with uh, playing with mud pies when a day at the beach is on offer. We're too content with the, the so-so, yeah, life's okay. God's got life in abundance for us. And we need to be saying, I'm going to fight for it, not just for myself, but for those around me. Next point is that, uh, so David, he's now in the enemy camp. He's got 600 people with, well, men with him and their wives and families. Uh, and he's gone and he's asked, can we have our, you know, our own town? I don't want to, he actually kind of, he's been quite sneaky this whole time whole way through. It's very, really interesting if you've got time to read through it all. Um, he's quite sneaky, and he says to Achish, who is the, the, uh, the, the son of the Philistine king who's overseeing where he is, look, I, I shouldn't be staying in a town with you. This is your town. Give us our own space. So Achish says, yeah, you can go down and have this area called Ziklag, and you can have it as your own. So he goes down, and he has this area called Ziklag as his own, and it's their own, and they're quite safe, and they're quite happy here, but they need provisions. They need to live somehow. So David starts to go around to the neighboring settlements that are Philistine settlements and begins to raid them. And as he raids them, he slaughters everybody. And to cover his own back, he slaughters everybody. The men, the women, the children. And he plunders and he takes everything. And then when he's asked, where where did you get these provisions from? He lies. And he says, oh, I've been raiding Hebrew settlements. I've I've been raiding other people, not Philistines. And it's important for us to recognize here that when we compromise, one compromise always leads to another compromise. David shouldn't even be in enemy territory. He shouldn't be living with them. And now he finds himself going deeper and deeper. And the result is sin, death, destruction, deceit. And it's so often like this. Sin leads to sin. And as we try and cover up our mess and deceive, we want to manipulate things for our own benefit. I'm sure many of us have had that moment where we we kind of realize, look, I had a good excuse when I started this, and now it's gone way too far. It's getting messier and messier. I've had to start lying to people. I've done more wrong to cover it up. It's a bit like trying to, 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 to clean a window with a messy rag. The more you try, oh, it's getting worse and worse. Or perhaps it's not even that you're trying to cover it up. Perhaps your, your conscience is just seared. You think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm behind enemy lines now. I might as well revel in it. I might as well get all I can. I might as well take as much as I can. And your, your conscience has got seared to now where you think, who is this God anyway? What, what should I do what he says? And so we've got to be aware that when we compromise just a little bit and we say, I've got a good reason for this, I've got a good excuse, it inevitably will lead to more compromise. Got to be sober-minded, as we just read. 
So from this truly desperate circumstance, we do sympathize with David. It is almost impossible, but he has got promises over his life. He has got things to hold on to, but he made what many of us, many of us would see as an understandable compromise. And it resulted in immediate relief, but then more and more compromise, death and deceit. Proverbs 25, we could look at just for a moment. It says this, like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country, but like muddied, like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. When we compromise, we get polluted. We've given way to wickedness. We are like a muddied spring. And I, as I was looking at it, it suddenly occurred to me, a spring and a fountain, they're overflowing. The whole point is that they get into other areas. They feed others. It doesn't just affect you. When you are compromised, other things get compromised. And it goes on to say, it's not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. When we compromise, it's like we've taken down the guards. And we've said, whatever wants to enter can enter. And we've got to be so aware of this. As people of faith, we've got to stand and say, look, I'm not going to compromise what I know to be true. And many of us these days, we, we, we compromise so much in this word. We say, well, I like most of what this says, but not all of it suits me. And a lot of what my friends say, it's quite against what the Bible says, but it sounds better and it suits my heart better and it feels better. And we start to compromise and the water gets muddied and our defenses come down and we let all sorts of rubbish in. And I want to implore you, this is God's holy word. What he says, will, it will call you to things that are difficult. And that's sometimes how you know. I'm doing the right thing here because I'm not just going with my heart. As we heard from uh, Morris a few weeks ago, that's where David's got into this whole issue because he listened to his heart. We want to run to the higher authority than our heart. So often these days, you know, we hear, don't deny yourself. Go with your heart. Jesus said, deny yourself very clearly. So reject what the world is saying. Don't deny. No, I will deny myself because I serve a greater king than myself. Then the ultimate compromise comes to David's doorstep, and he is trapped. What happens just before chapter 30 is he finds the, this guy, Achish, comes to him and says, right, David, we're going to raid the Israelites. David's probably privately thinking, my pe- that's my people. Right, David, we're, we're raiding them. You're coming with us, yeah? And he is stuck. What on earth do I do? I've been saying for 16 months I'm on your side, but really I've been killing your people quietly. And, uh, and now you're asking me to come and kill my own people. What do I do? So he's completely compromised. And uh, we can get into this place where we can find, I, I just made a, a one decision, and now I'm completely compromised. And David comes before the commanders of the army with Achish, and they recognize him. They say, wait, isn't this David? Uh, yeah. Wait, no, no, isn't this the David? Isn't this the David with the pop song? He kills 10,000s. Yeah, you know who that's talking about, Achish. It's talking about us. He, can, he kills ten thousands of us. You fool. He's not going to come to battle with us. He could turn at any moment and slaughter loads of us. We are not bringing him with us. So in God's provision, David is spared from this horrendous situation of, of going into battle against his own people. 
But he's probably also a bit humiliated. Yeah, you're right. What am I even doing here? Aren't you David? Aren't you the one that was supposed to be against us? And now you're on our side. Yeah, what am I doing? And so often we can totally undermine our principles and our God-given standards and be out with friends. And we can do it in the name of, I've got to be relatable, so I'm going to drink as much as they do. I'm going to swear as much as they do. And I'm just going to do whatever they do because I want to be relatable as a Christian. And then someone turns and says, hey, aren't you a Christian? And you think, oh, what am I doing? What am I doing? This is not what I'm called to. David's been outed. And it's, a, it's, one, it's probably quite humiliating. But at the same time, God is sparing him from going into battle. Because what they say is, no, you can't come with us, David, but you'll, we'll send you back to Ziklag. And this is where we pick up this story here in chapter 30. So we'll read... Uh, some, most of chapter 30 here, but not all of it. Uh, now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the, the, the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each, of his, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And down to verse 8. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him. And they came to the brook Bezer, where... Those who were left behind stayed, but David pursued. He and 400 men, 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Bezer. We'll come back to that in a moment. Some of them didn't go to take back what was theirs. So so he's taken 400 and they're pursuing the people that have overrun Ziklag and taken all of their things and their, their families. And on the way, they find an Egyptian. An Egyptian is near death. He's been left for dead. And they nurse him back to health. And it turns out that he is one of the people that had just raided Ziklag. And they nurse him back to health. And he says, look, I'll, I'll, take you to the, I'll take you to my people who have just raided your home in return for my life. Just spare me. So they spare him and he leads them. And David and his men find the Amalekites drunk and celebrating the raid. And it says quite horrifically from morning until midnight, or is it from midnight till the next, anyway, for a day, they slaughter almost everybody in that camp. And they take back. In verse 18, we catch up here. It says, David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. And David also captured all the flocks and herds. And the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. So David was able with his men to reclaim everything that was taken. And it is something of a victory 
of the spoil of what he's able to get. Not just what was got taken, but even everything else that these people had. So we see David's return to strength. We've looked at his compromise, now we're going to see his return to strength and its causes and consequences. And really I want to look at three things that grace does as we look at this. Number one is that grace brings us to the end of ourselves, the end of kidding ourselves, the end of messing around and and pretending that we are okay on our own. David has lost everything at the beginning of this chapter. Everything's been taken, his wives and his children and his families and everything. And he starts to see the result of his wandering from God's purposes, and they are devastating. He weeps until he has nothing left to weep. He's completely helpless, and he finally remembers and recognizes it. It's not the first time he's realized that. Actually, he's lived his life up until about two years ago, 16 months ago. He's, he's lived his life recognizing, I need God. He is my good shepherd. I am his sheep. I, I, I need him. In fact, one of his most famous victories over Goliath, he said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And people could say, but but didn't you kill those things? And you're really well rehearsed with the the slingshot. Didn't you do all of this? No, he's saying, no, the Lord delivered me. He's always attributed his his success to God. He he knows that he's dependent on God. And he's coming back to recognizing and remember, "What what have I done? I've gone my own way. And his pride, he's, he's kind of fought against God's, God's love for him. And sometimes that's what it's like for us. In fact, sometimes the battle for us is to stop fighting. Sometimes we need to stop fighting against God when he's trying to love us. He's trying to help us. He's trying to give us good things. He's trying to guide us the right way. And we fight in our pride and we, and we strive on our own. And we say, God, I've got this one. And sometimes the battle is to stop striving, to stop refusing him, and stop trying to prove ourselves. And remember who we are. We're not God, and he is God. And as we do, weight falls off. And relief comes in as grace reminds us that we come to the end of ourselves. We find him. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus didn't come saying, sort yourselves out, and then, I'll, and then I'll, I'll help you. No, I came to help you because you need sorting out. I came to help you in your mess. So we must be quick to come to the end of our strivings without him. And you may think, but doesn't the Bible say we're more than conquerors? Well, yeah, it does. It says we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not on our own. We're conquerors through him, only because of him. We're actually referred to as sheep a lot in the Bible. Dumb sheep who are very helpless. You don't see many wild sheep. Sheep need a shepherd. They are desperate. They're dependent. Not many sheep are going, I'll go my own way. I'll do my own thing. They just want to know, where's the food? Uh, Can you do all my stuff for me? They're very dependent. And Alan Redpath, the author, says this, The entry of self-confidence into a man's experience means the departure of heavenly strength. The the entry of self-confidence means the departure of heavenly strength. I loved what Adrian Holloway said a few weeks ago. He said, 
Um, when we come into line with God's mission, all the resources of heaven come behind us. We're coming to what he has called us to do. Then we'll be more than conquerors through him who loved us. You might say, but, but David didn't seem like he was being self-confident when he went to the Philistine camp. Wasn't he completely devoid of self-confidence? Isn't that the whole point? Well, sometimes your self-confidence is very deceiving. We turn to God in self-reliance, but we're so full of sorrow and self-indulgence, feeling sorry for ourselves, that we only make ourselves out to be the victim. We don't recognize, even in that sorrow, and I'm not denying that it can be very painful, but, but it's still turning away from God if we turn away from God. Think of the storm on the boat when Jesus is with the disciples and they're sleeping, and sorry, he's sleeping, and the storm arises and, and they wake, Jesus, wake up, we're going to die. He doesn't wake up and say, I'm sorry I fell asleep, guys, that must have been really tough for you. He, he says, where's your faith? Yes, there's a storm. I am with you. I am with you. The creator of the storms. The one who can calm the storms. I am with you. So Jesus is calling us to be people who, yes, when life is difficult and when it looks like our uh, self-confidence is not there and actually we are going to it, we say, no, Jesus, I'm trusting in you even in the storm. We know that Paul said this, that he felt God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, whatever you're going through. For power is perfected in weakness. Coming to the end of yourself, letting go of control. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. We've got to be a people who are clearly people who are needy for God. Together. To not put on a front. Say, no, I'm okay, things are going okay. But to say, I've had a tough week, but God's grace is sufficient. And maybe sometimes that we need to remind our brothers and sisters, God's grace is sufficient. And not have a go at them for being honest with us that they've had a difficult week or month or life. We need to let go of control. Grace brings us to the end of ourselves. We let go of control, we give God control, and it gives us strength. That's what Paul is saying here. When I'm weak then I'm strong because I'm, stopped, I'm stopping striving in my own strength. Jesus said, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's that whole thing of saying, finds life, is, is, is fighting for it, trying to, trying to control life, trying to have things in my grasp. But whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever trusts it to me will find life. He is the one who's the life giver. So we've got to come to the end of ourselves, to the end of our delusions that we're okay without God. I can handle it. No, we remember I'm a sheep. But he is the most wonderful shepherd possible. And maybe you think, you sound like you've been a bit harsh here. Well, let me remind you of this. Jesus himself said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. Not even Jesus, the son of God, was there saying, look, this is my mission, my agenda he was saying, I can only do what I see the Father doing. I'm dependent on the Father. How much more should we be saying, I need to come under the Father. I need to come to the end of my control and give it to him. So grace brings us to the end of ourselves. Number two, grace pounces. Grace pounces. 
Verse 6, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. David strengthens himself in the Lord. Perhaps, as we know of David in the Psalms, with a sermon to himself, a sermon to his heart, reminding himself, who is this God? Who am I in this God? Wake up my soul. Come on, why are you downcast? He's speaking to himself. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher in the 20th century, said this, one of our biggest problems is that we spend so much time listening to ourselves instead of speaking to ourselves. So easy just to listen to our dreariness or our weariness or our cynicism instead of saying, no, come on, wake up. I'm called to more than this. This is who I am in Christ. This is who God is, and I'm in him. So David strengthens himself, and I wouldn't be surprised if it is with a sermon to his heart. We find him reminding himself of who God is in in, in the Psalms, what God has done. And the result of those things is that fear turns to faith. Pain turns to praise. Remember, we said, Morris said a few weeks ago, in the first place, David let his heart speak and he found despair. Now David speaks to his heart and he finds strength. We must speak truth to ourselves. We must fight. We speak truth into the darkness, truth to the lies. He's been living in lies. And the truth isn't only, I am pathetic, you know, I'm not God, I'm not God of my life, I'm desperate, I'm the needy sheep. Those things are true, but we don't just stay there. We say, and God is good, and God is for me, and God is faithful. God is God. He's on the throne, and he's my father. So we don't just dwell in, oh, I'm just nothing, I'm useless. No, I am. I'm come to the end of myself, and I found something much greater than I could ever find in myself. As Tom often said, we don't search for the hero inside ourselves. And then in the confidence, in that confidence, he goes to God and inquires of the Lord. And God doesn't say, well, David, you've messed up big time. So I can't trust you. You're going to be on probation for six months. David, you need to go back to the drawing board. Start again with training before I can trust you with my armies. No. You must hear this, because you often will fall into this lie of thinking, I've got to work my way back up. God, I've messed up. You know more than anyone. You see everything. You see the thoughts in my heart. I'm so filthy. This is such a mess. And you start to speak such negativity to yourself. And God is the God who reinstates immediately. He says, go for it, David, and you will succeed. Isn't that incredible? Immediately, God pounces. Grace pounces. We come to God. He's ready. Springs loaded. Let's go. Let's go. Alan Redpath again says, immediately when David touched rock bottom, he turned back to God. At the very first uplifting of that tear-stained face, the very first moment the Lord looked down and saw his broken-hearted child weeping until he could weep no more, then heaven answered with an immediate word of power and victory. And sent him out to conquer. Isn't that fantastic? You've seen a cat pounce before? It's ready, focused, poised. Anticipation is there. God's like that for you. Waiting for you to come. I've got blessing for you. I've got love for you. I'm waiting. Just come. Just ask. Just say the word. And I'm there. I'm there before you're there. 
In fact, we read in, in 1 Chronicles 12 about this same time period that God had sent scores of thousands of troops to David's aid at this point so that he could go and succeed with them. So that was triggered before David had even repented. God knew this is coming. I'm ready. I'm on it. I'm sending my resources. And David turns to him in repentance and these men arrive. He's working for your good in advance. He's working for your good all the time. And he's waiting. He's ready. He's poised. Come on. Come to me. Come to me. Yeah? Let's go. Immediately. This is God's heart for you. Got so much for you. I'm not going to say you work it off. You prove it to me. I'm going to say, you're mine. Let's go. I've got so much for you. This is God's heart. We think of Jonah and the fish. Jonah is on the boat and he realizes, this is all my fault, this storm. I repent. Throw me in and it'll all be over. And he jumps or he gets thrown into the water. And God's already provided a fish. They're waiting, ready. God provides as soon as we turn to him. We think about the prodigal son story as, as the son is in the pig swill and just thinking, what am I doing? And it says he came to himself, which means he probably came to the end of himself. He sobered up. He realized what a mess. He went back to his father and the father saw him from a long way off and sprinted to him in an undignified way. Just ran to him and embraced him and threw a ring on his finger and a robe on him and, and a feast. Gave him a feast and said, welcome into the party. Some of you don't realize there's a party. When you turn back, it's a party for you in heaven. It's a party for you. And this isn't just, okay, once you repent one day, this is what it's, you know, just do it once. No, this is daily there's a party for you. This is daily coming to God. And God's saying, yeah, I'm ready for you daily. Come to me every morning. Come to me because I want to give you joy. I want to give you blessing. I want to give you myself. Daily, hourly, every minute of the day. Come on, come on, I'm with you. I want to bless you. And the prodigal son is a great picture of the father rushing as the son slowly turns back to him. God's grace for you is lavish and it's ready to pounce. As you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. And number three here, grace gives birth to grace. I'm just going to read a few more uh, verses here. Chapter 30, verse 21. I think it's on the screen. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Bezer. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we've recovered, except that each man may lead his own wife and children and depart. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He's preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as as his share is who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And uh, verse 26, when David came to Ziklag, He sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. And he also sent to all the places where he and his men had roamed. I loved this when I read this and I saw it. I just thought, wow, this is grace giving birth to grace. David knows I don't deserve to be here. Yes, I might have been in the battle and these people weren't in the battle. 
But I don't deserve this any more than they do. That is what it is to understand grace. None of us deserves it. Do you understand? None of you deserve grace. None of you deserve God to love you. And when you understand that, you stop thinking, yeah, but I am a better Christian than this guy, though. But I do do this better. God's a bit more impressed with me. No! It's all grace. And that way you stop to be self-righteous and you start to say, come in. Come into the party. As the prodigal son's father says to the other brother, come in. Come and join us in the party. There's no space for self-righteousness. It calls these men wicked and worthless fellows because they're saying, no, wait, wait, wait. They weren't included in this. David says, you're barely included in it yourself. God is the one who's given them to our hands. He preserved them for our, to give into, he preserved us, sorry, and given into our hand the band that came against us. God has done this. David has experienced grace. He knows, I don't deserve this. I've been a failure. I've turned away from God for over a year. And God immediately reinstated me and brought me back. I'm not going to start saying, yeah, actually, you're right. Let's keep this stuff. You're kidding me. I don't deserve to, to be here. I deserve God should have killed me years ago. But in his grace, he spared me. And not just spared me, he's brought me through. Now let's invite others into this. Grace gives birth to grace. He knows this God's generosity. And it moves him to share grace generously. One way you can know if you're receiving grace is if you're living in it and displaying it. Are you living in grace? Are you displaying grace? Are you sharing grace? Knowing that God is God and I'm not. I'm trusting him in that position. I'm going to stop trying snatching at it myself and and pretending that I've somehow earned something. I haven't earned anything with him. He's given in abundance. I must give. In abundance as a response. Sure, many of us know the story of Zacchaeus, who, who, who was a sinful tax collector, taking from people. And Jesus, in the Gospels, has this moment. It's, I think it's Luke 19. Uh, he enters Jericho and was passing through. And a man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus knew I don't deserve this man to come to my house and love me the way he has. And what it does is melts his heart. And this hands that he's had gripped on money begin to open. And whatever else, what other God you've had in your life where you said, no, I must have this. When you receive grace, you realize, no, I don't. I don't need that. I don't need any of that. And his grace gives birth to grace as he says, I've got to give it. I've got to give it back. Give it to the poor. Give it to the people I've swindled. And that's what David has done here as he gives this plunder out. So perhaps today as we ponder the grace we've received, 
we enjoy all the more giving abundantly. As you've given today, enjoy it this week. Maybe there's more for you to give and to enjoy. Ah, God, I can give more. You've given so much, as, as Hannah was saying. You didn't even withhold your son from me. We want to be conduits of this grace, conduits of this mercy. Before, earlier on, Len was saying to me, the banks have actually been amazed when they've heard, you're getting this money just from giving from your church. And they've seen the amount of money we've been able to raise. Is that just from people giving? Yeah, because we're a people who have received grace. We've been given to freely. Now, freely, we want to give. Because we know a God who's much better than the God of money. And Jesus said, you can't actually serve two gods. We're saying, I choose to serve you. I'm going to be generous when I receive the generosity you've given to me. We display it in our giving. We give so that others can know this grace. As we pray, we so want to see God do a marvelous thing in, in Ipswich. To really see him extend the kingdom of God and meet people in their distress. Meet people with their tight-fistedness over things that doesn't matter at all. Say, let go, let my love invade. Let my love open your clenched hands over things that won't satisfy. Let me come in and soften your heart. I'm excited about that. So we're going to celebrate. Just in a moment, we're going to celebrate with the band. If you want to come back up, we're going to celebrate with God this grace that he's given to us. We're going to sing. We're going to enjoy the grace. We think about David's failure. We think about our failures. We need to trust in the one, Jesus, who had every excuse to turn his own way. Exhaustion, yes. Everyone turning against him, yes. Tempted in the most extraordinary ways, yes. Literally taken to be tempted into the desert, into the wilderness. It would have brought so much pleasure and relief to give in to that temptation. The devil knew exactly what he needed. He'd been fasting for 40 days. Why don't you have some bread? Oh, I want that bread so much. No. He was given so much temptation, but never once compromised doing what his father called him to do. For your sake. Where David compromised, where you compromised... Jesus was victorious every single time, in every single way for you. He didn't just die the perfect death. He lived a perfect life to win this amazing, abundant, pouncing, undeserved grace for you. His love for you is extraordinary. He won it in the most extraordinary way. If you want to give, there's still uh, a bucket over here to give. or It's not a bucket, is it? Basket. Um, or, or if you haven't given, think about it. Pray, pray about it this week. What can we give? Because, God, you've given so extraordinarily. And I don't want to just pigeonhole this about finance, but it is important. But really, let's be thinking in our lives, where can I just give? Where can I serve others? I've been served extraordinarily by the King of Kings. How can I serve others? I've been brought into a relationship with God in such a gracious way. How can I help others come into this incredible relationship? Let's be conduits of grace and mercy. One of the best things we can do is just to celebrate. So let's stand, shall we? We're going to celebrate this grace that God has poured out on our lives and changed them forever. I want to pray for us and we'll sing. Father, we are, we are overwhelmed by your grace, undeserved grace. We come to the end of ourselves quite happily. You know, there's nothing in there for us that will sustain us. You're the one who sustains us. We want to take refuge in you 
Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy that pounces on us. The minute we turn to you, you're instantly there running to us. You're already looking out for us. You're ready to, uh, to, 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 to catch us when we fall. We thank you so much for your abundant grace. And we, we pray you'd help us to be conduits, to be reflectors and sharers of this mercy and grace. How dare we be selfish with it when the whole point is that you've given, you've given, you've given, you've given. Pray you'd help us to be givers of grace, sharers of grace, to kill off self-righteousness and welcome in as many people as we can to this kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.